The Pace Line Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash paceline to support the show and learn more. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. Our New Year's resolution is a familiar one. Lose weight. But fatty has a twist. Have to set a target weight for each week. If you miss it, it costs you a hundred bucks. Oh! No, it's got to. It, like I said, the carrot, the carrot's awesome because you're going to hit your goal weight. But the stick hurts. And we hear from a fellow gear junkie, Aaron Goley of Outside Magazine, who was run down while mountain biking. I was, for whatever reason, riding far, far over on the right-hand side of the bike lane. Um, and totally unsuspecting, all of a sudden a car uh, crammed up behind me or roared up behind me. I n- never heard him and just uh, bashed me off my bike. Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick and Fatty here with show 96 of the official podcast of Red Kite Prayer. Hottie is out for the week, which means only the two of us who don't really know what we're doing are here. How are you doing, Patrick? I don't know. <laughs> See? <laughs> there you go. Well, and advertising what... and all that. <laughs> well, whether we know what we're doing or not, you can find us on Red Kite Prayer oh, wait, on Apple Podcasts. I thought Podcasts. you were asking how I was doing. Oh, I, I, think I know I what I'm doing. I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> Dude, you are derailing me so bad here. <laughs> and bad. Or sorry. <laughs> it is okay. This is the final episode of the Pace Line before the beginning of next year, 2018. We're getting darn close to 100 episodes, but because we're getting close to the new year, it's time to start talking about weight loss and weight loss plans. You ready for that, Patrick? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm ready for the weight loss part. Maybe not the discussion, but um, proceed. No, no. All we ever do is discuss here. Yeah, there's no getting around it. Well, at least it's not discussed. So I've put together a... <laughs> Sorry, that was sort of a... That was a joke grenade. It took a second before <laughs> it went off. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, so it was a word joke. So I posted the VIQ, the very important question for this episode of The Pace Line, and it's one that has gotten a lot of response in a very short period of time. I only put this up 20 minutes ago and already 153 votes. Here's the question. How much weight do you plan to lose before your A event in 2018? Here are the options. 13% have said... None, really. I'm fine. 41% of you are saying, I have 5 to 14 pounds to lose by the time you get to your A event. 41%. That's pretty pretty impressive. And the largest of all of the options. 29% of you are saying 15 to 25 pounds. And 17% of you are saying you have more than 25 pounds to lose. Where do you fit in there, Patrick? Uh, group B, uh, the 41 percenters, five to 14 pounds, five to 14 pounds. That's not too bad. So what would that bring you to? Uh, we'll go with just 155 is kind of where I'd like to hit. And I'm about 167 now, I think. All Um, right. You know, I mean, my old race weight was 150 and I don't, I don't anticipate getting back there, nor do I really want to. Um, uh, it it has been observed by some people who ride with me that I seem to have picked up some muscle mass this year. Um, Good for you. Yeah, I, I like that. And on a ride the other day, I actually felt like I had more actual strength. So hmm. um, I'm willing to be kind of flexible. I, I definitely would like to get back under 160 if I can keep all this power. But I'm, all right. I'm riding reasonably well for the end of December. I am embarrassed to say that I fit into the 
15 to 25 pounds category. In fact, I'm square in the middle of it. I am, I weighed myself uh, yesterday, 178 pounds. My race weight last year, you know, so as, as of August, I weighed 158 pounds, you know, for, you know, it, it just, you know, don't even worry about the slack jawed moment of, ah, 20 pounds in, in a few months, it happens every year. And I no longer even care. I'm like, yeah, yeah, just, just, it's what happens. I hit my race weight. I do my races. I eat like a maniac. I put it all back on, but it's time for me to start losing it again. So. And it seems like that is a pretty normal amount to need to lose. I mean, if you add the 41% of people who are saying, you know, of, of cyclists who are saying, yeah, I got between five and 14 pounds to lose. And the 29%, you know, that 70% of us are saying we need to lose between five and 25 pounds before we get to our A event. Well, and you know I what that proves? They were all the pe- that uh, fat people like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> like attracts like. <laughs> well, okay, that that may be true. It does not preclude the other core truth that I uh, have discerned from this, which is that we are definitely reaching an audience of dedicated cyclists. Cause, to be sure. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't have seventy percent of all guys going. No, dude, definitely need to lose weight. Yeah. Yeah. We are different that way. Uh, and that's one of the things I remember from uh, the conversation I was having with uh, with Floyd Landis in Leadville last year. I went um, during the podcast, I think before we were recording, I said, hey, it looks like you've lost about 15, 20 pounds. And he was observing. He was like, only cyclists say stuff like that to each other it, it, that we are totally comfortable with saying, you look like you've put on a few pounds. You look like you've lost a few pounds. We are absolutely 100% immune to the normal social embarrassment that goes along with talking about weight loss and weight gain. Uh, I certainly am. I mean, uh, I've embraced the nickname fatty for I guess closing on 15 years now. <laughs> yeah, I would say you've gotten comfortable with it. I, you know, I will say that when, you know, it's it's really easy to talk with guys about, you know, body image and size and fat and et cetera, et cetera. When you talk to a woman, um, it's it's actually, I think, twice as difficult as talking to normal women, you know, non non-athletic women. And so the, hmm. the thing that I have closed in on as my, my gambit when I want to try to uh, pay a woman a compliment, uh, a female cyclist a compliment, um, without causing her to be self-conscious uh, about her size is I'll, I'll, I'll usually go with something like, you know, there's less of you than there used to be. Really? I've yet um, to be slapped for that. I, I, I'm, it's a big world. There's still time. <laughs> oh, I, I will just go ahead and say that once I am comfortable with any person, male or female, uh, my filter is adjusted to the exact same place. Um, I'm perfectly happy to talk with male writers, female writers about essentially – the same things. And since uh, being a good climber is something that matters to me, I tend to gravitate to those sorts of people. And so uh, like with my wife or my niece or whoever, we talk about, you know, the gaining or losing a few pounds equally comfortably. So I I think it really has more to to do with are you part of the same tribe than are you part of the same gender? Um, Mm. Where, you know, and different people are comfortable with different things. Um, or it could just maybe, be because I live in California. Who knows? It, and, you know, we, we've all sort of worn down our sensitivity to different stuff, right? So, you know, maybe I've offended people and haven't even noticed, in which case I have apologies to make. Th- that said, I am going to start another weight loss uh, contest. And last year, I did what essentially I didn't even realize was the prototype for the contest I want to do this year. But I do my best and most focused weight loss toward an important race for me by having other people participate and turning it into a game and something with focus and with the ability to really win 
or really lose. I need a good carrot. I need a good stick. You know, the carrot's got to be powerful. The stick has got to hurt like hell, right? And <laughs> here is uh, here's what I've got planned out. And we're going to finalize this. I haven't written down the rules yet, but I have some ideas, right? The first premise is the one I just told you. Carrot's got to be powerful. Stick has got to hurt. Second premise of, of my contest is there has to be radical accountability, which means I'm going to charge $250 up front if you want to even enter. I've done weight loss contests back when I had the blog where people could join in at any time and people as they started to fail would just disappear and vanish, right? Stop participating. Stop, <laughs> stop doing weigh-ins. Yeah. You stop weighing in. And you forfeit the $250, right? That's just insurance, right? If you if you don't want to play anymore, then you lose the money. It's that simple. So an encouragement for you to stick to it, right? And the $250, by the way, I keep and I spend it on myself. It doesn't go to World Bicycle Relief. It doesn't go to a good cause so you can feel better about your, the fact that that money is gone. It goes to me and I spend it on something like – I don't know, um, cigarettes and whiskey it's, it's so that I can, so I can get the voice that Hottie wants me to get, right? The third premise, the support should be awesome and the embarrassment should be self-inflicted. In other words, we're not going to trash talk each other. We're going to support each other, but you have to weigh in every single day so that if your weight isn't going down, that's your problem. Right? And that's your embarrassment. And then finally, fourth premise, you don't get into this contest unless I say so. Which means the people who have, you know, zero to five pounds, I don't want you in this contest. Right? You don't have a reasonable amount of weight to lose. If you have five to ten pounds to lose, I probably don't want you in this contest unless you are, say – a 120 pound person kid so maybe maybe you've got to lose what at least 10 percent of your of your body weight to be in the in the contest i haven't done the math yet i got to figure out what makes it reasonable but you got it needs to be some amount where you know you know half an hour in the bathroom isn't going to get you to your weight goal <laughs> right well, it depends on what you're doing in the bathroom. I mean, if you take a scalpel. Yeah, no, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> we are not going to get into that conversation. I made it general on purpose. <laughs> so, um, and here, so here's the primary carrot. Like I said, you have to post your weight with a photo of of your scale, you on the scale, or a screen cap if you're using one of the you know the Wi-Fi based uh, scales. Yep. Every single day. If you can't, for some reason, if you're traveling or you're going to be somewhere where you just aren't near your scale, you have to give advance notice, have to set a target weight for each week. If you miss it, it costs you a hundred bucks. Oh, no, it's got to, it, like I said, the carrot, the carrot's awesome because you're going to hit your goal weight, but the stick hurts. Well, but last and, year's stick was half the size and I thought it was a, a big stick. No, I think it was a hundred bucks. Oh, I thought it was fifty bucks last year. Well, inflation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I was glad not to be involved in last year's, but no, you know, wow. I, you need to be in it this time, man. So, <laughs> and and we'll explain why. I'll get a, a part time job so I can afford uh, afford failing the weigh ins. No, if you don't fail the weigh ins, it does. It isn't going to cost you anything, and. Here's the thing, that $100, it doesn't go to me. I choose randomly a participant who succeeded that week. In other words, it's going that money, that $100 you're giving up, you're giving to a stranger. I thought and you just said I wasn't going to give it up. Well, if you don't fail, you won't. Uh. Never fail, okay? And everyone gets one mulligan, right? Because the fact is, sometimes things go bad. Right. And also you are the one who chooses how much weight you're going to lose that week. Right. If you are if you know that you are going to be traveling most of a week, you know, you're not going to be losing any weight. You can set a target for your weight of a gain of two pounds 
And that's fair, right? Because you know you're going to be traveling. If you can hold your weight gain to two pounds that week and that's part of your plan, you're awesome. But by July 1, which is when really most A events start happening, you need to have all of your weight get lost done by then. By July 1, you got to be at your goal weight. Mm. And then you get your $250 back. And maybe you've made a little money. Maybe you've lost a couple hundred bucks. But I bet you, because you are being super accountable and it costs enough that it hurts if you fail on a week, I bet you you do better than you would have otherwise. So the rules are going to come up. It's going to be the pace line, a race, weight contest. And I'm in. I think, uh, you know, Hadi, I wouldn't even let in. You, you're questionable. Um, (laughs) Well, we've known I'm questionable. (laughs) But we should, but there will be more on this. And the reason I'm thinking about this, apart from the fact that right now I am pretty heavy, (laughs) is I am super excited about what my A race is for this year. And that is, oh. Oh, yeah. I, I, I decided not to hold you in suspense very long. The Breckenridge Epic, uh, known by almost everyone as simply the Breck Epic. Breckenridge, Colorado, it's a six-day stage race on incredible single track. I've done this once before, and it was one of the two best bike vacations I have ever taken. It's a race, but it is still an amazing bike vacation. You're doing about 40 miles of mountain biking every day for six days. And then just hanging out in the condo or whatever you rent at the campsite. And since the, unlike most uh, stage uh, races, you don't have to move every day. It gives you a little bit more free time, a little bit more downtime every day. So um, I'm stoked for this one and I'm going to get in race shape so that I can kill at it. Wow. Um, Now that, that event's in August, right? That's right. Um, in fact, uh, I was talking with Mike McCormick, the race director for this, and this is a little bit of news here. Um, to cooperate with the city of Breckenridge, which has another big event on the date that it was scheduled for, they are moving race date uh, to August 6th through 10th. Okay, so mark that on your calendars. Okay. Here's a nice little piece of news. They, uh, Mike is also putting together a 15% discount for Paceline listeners, the first 25 Paceline listeners who use the code FATICON, as in F-A-T-T-Y-C-O-N, kind of like Comic-Con, or Fatty is a con man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) FATICON will get you 15% off for the first 25 guys, or 25 entrants, that is a significant amount of money. The the race, a, you know, six days of racing for $800 is a good price. It's um, definitely fair. I mean, yes. if I understand, they do a pretty amazing job of support. A fantastic job of support. It is incredibly personable and just the best race vibe you will ever have. You're not going to get six days, you know, you're not going to get six races for 800 bucks anyway, but 15% off that brings the price down to $680, and that makes it a really good price. So if you are thinking of registering it for it, then you should. Uh, and I am going to. I am in 100%. This is my A race for the year. Wow. Um, I will say. Yes. <laughs> this is... Uh, this is a little bit embarrassing, I think, but you know, the last year I had my 20th Leadville 100 mm-hmm. and, and now you don't um, have to do it anymore. I don't have to, um, <laughs> I can stop anytime I want. But when, when Mike told me that they were moving the Breck Epic to the 6th through the 10th, I realized of course that the Leadville 100 is on the 11th. And I thought, you know, as long as I'm basically in town, because <laughs> Breckenridge and Leadville are just a half hour away from each other. I may as well go ahead and do the Leadville 100 as well and get my 21st Leadville 100. And it would be kind of cool to see, you know, how I do in Leadville on my seventh day of racing. Well, yeah, because that's not going to turn out poorly at all. Well, I I have done the Leadville 100 Breckenridge 
100 or Brecken Breck Epic duo one other time. However, that was that time I did Leadville and then Breck, and that messed me up. <laughs> that was hard. Uh, well, I'm had, sure I, in the other direction it'll work out much, much better. Well, I, I, I think so because on the previous day I, I will have only ridden 40 miles, and so doing 100 won't shouldn't be any problem, right? Um, <laughs> but I'm just—it's a sterling plan. I, I fully endorse this. Thank you. I'm I'm not smart, but I <clears throat> am I am hoping to yeah, get my 21st Leadville 100, do two races that I really love, and you know why not? Also, my my wife Lisa will be doing by her doing this race. That will be her 15th Leadville 100. I think she's getting close to being the first woman to do 20 Leadville 100s. So it's something that we may continue to do. Uh, I think I'm, I may be more interested in that in that threshold than she is. It may be time for me to admit I have a problem. <laughs> so we're going to create Leadville Anon. Um, so far, yeah. you seem to be the only person... Uh, eligible uh, for membership, but you know, it is an anonymous <sighs> society. So um, we can play like there are other members helping you along through your problem. <laughs> that works for me. Okay. So lots going on in this first half of the, uh, of the pace line with uh, Breck Epic and a great discount and a contest coming up. And yeah, I'm going to do Leadville, but uh, to be honest, it's more of a, it's a, Honestly, I'm, I'm not, I have no objective other than to finish it this year and see how – I'm going to race hard, but uh, you know, with six days of racing in my legs, I don't expect to do anything magnificent. Um, but we got a lot more coming up uh, in the second half of the pace line, which is going to be coming up right after this. 30 seconds, riders. 30 seconds till we kick off the 2016 edition of the Breckenridge, Colorado. Stage one of six. We are rolling in just over 15 seconds. I'll catch you down for five riders. Ten seconds, riders. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you're a cyclist. And because you're a cyclist, you can save up to 25.5% on your life insurance by purchasing it through Health IQ. In addition to all the usual information you give for insurance, such as age, gender, height, weight, and nicotine use, the amount of riding you do each week is considered, and you can take quizzes that may reduce your payments further. It turns out that knowing what it takes to be fit has its own value. Health IQ knows that people who ride have an 18% lower risk of heart disease, a 28% lower risk of overall mortality, and a 45% lower risk of cancer. So drop by healthiq.com forward slash paceline podcast to get your free no obligation quote. And the pace line is back with Patrick and Fatty. Patrick, you recently had a very interesting conversation with Aaron Goley of Outside Magazine. Tell us what that was about. Yeah, so I've known Aaron for a fair number of years at this point, and he's somebody that, you know, when I'm at media events, uh, I really enjoy spending time with him. It's a chance for us to talk rather than just read each other's work. And he's got a really wonderful perspective on cycling and how it fits into, shall we say, a, a fulfilled life. And so he's, he's just somebody I always enjoy his perspective on things. And recently, unfortunately, he was out on a mountain bike ride and was hit by a car. There was a roughly 100 meter section of road uh, that he had to travel down to get to the next portion of trail. And he was hit from behind. And uh, he wrote a piece about the experience uh, for Outside. And in it, he talked about how he's actually riding off-road uh, more frequently these days. And it was one of those things that, you know, like many people, 
uh, because I certainly saw the article shared lots on social media. Uh, it really resonated with me. Um, you know, I won't say more than, than he usually does, but as usual, his perspective, her, his perspective really fit for me. And so I figured, well, you know, let's get him on Skype and talk a little bit. So here's Aaron Gully and we're discussing his recent piece for Outside. So I'm with Aaron Gully of Outside Magazine. Uh, Aaron, thanks for joining us on the Pace Line. Uh, thanks for having me, Patrick. Uh, been a little while since we've seen each other. So uh, obviously I understand you went down. Um, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. It, it, I was extremely lucky to walk away from that experience with pretty, um, you know, relatively minor injuries. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, could have been a lot worse. And that's what, what it made me think about. Uh, you know, I've, I've got soft tissue issues. I'll have sort of back pain and neck pain and that kind of stuff ongoing for probably months and, and years to come. But uh, compared to what it could have been, uh, it was it was pretty lucky. Yeah, well, so for listeners of ours who haven't read your piece yet, um, you know, kind of give us a little setup of exactly what happened and then uh, what led you to write the piece that you did. Um, well, I went out, uh, you know, late, late one afternoon, went out for a mountain bike ride as I tend to do after work. Uh, there are trails right off our, our property. So, uh, it's, you know, two or three miles of trail. And then there's about a quarter mile of, uh, pavement and then, uh, back on trails. So I went out and rode, rode for about an hour, hour and a half, um, was wrapping up and had to take that pavement stretch back to the house, uh, got on the pavement. Like I said, it was about a quarter of a mile uh, that I'd be back on pavement for a few minutes. Was in a bike lane on the, or yeah, was in a bike lane traveling, I guess, southbound. Uh, really big bike lane. I was, for whatever reason, riding far, far over on the right hand side of the bike lane um, and totally unsuspecting, all of a sudden, the car uh, crammed up behind me or roared up behind me. I n never heard him and just uh, bashed me off my bike. Uh, he hit me in the arm, hit me in the leg, uh, hit me in the knee, and then clipped my bars. And it sort of sent me tumbling about 20 feet off the bike into the bushes. Oof. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, I sort of jumped up and, you know, to, uh, God bless the guy. Um, obviously, he, he wasn't paying attention, but uh, he did stop and was kind enough to wait for the police to come and so on and so forth. So, um, I mean, I guess as far as why I wrote the piece, you know, I just feel like it's an epidemic these days that people aren't paying attention in the cars and more and more friends and colleagues and family members and basically everybody I know that rides on the road these days is um, either has been hit or has a story about someone being hit. Um, and, and I just think that people need uh, to think about it. And I, I, I was hoping the story raises a little bit of awareness about that fact. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly what I'm seeing on social media in terms of the shares and reshares and the comments and whatnot, um, you know, it's resonating with people. Uh, so there's, there's certainly something that, you know, people are seeing their own experience and their own fears, uh, reflected in what you wrote. I'm curious, given how much we've talked about how, uh, smartphones and texting seems to be a piece of the increased danger. Do you have any sense of, was he on his smartphone at the time? Is that perhaps a contributing factor? He uh, had a smartphone when he got out of the car. He told police that he was not on the phone when he uh, w when they took his statement. So, I mean, it's it's hard to know. Uh, what I do know is he was over five feet across the line. He was basically in the dirt uh, on on the road. So, whether he was on his phone or messing with the radio or uh, doing whatever else it might have been, um, I guess. We'll never know for sure. My, my, my feeling is he was probably on the phone. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to tell the police, oh, yeah, I was totally texting while I was driving. No, you're not going to tell them that. Right. Um, 
but it, it doesn't really, I mean, it, it does matter in the sense that I feel like um, phones are obviously a, a major distraction these days, but it's not just phones. I think people have to realize it's, it's just being distracted at all. And he, he was distracted by, enough by something to be uh, effectively off the road and never even see me. Right. I mean, and that's, I think that's the big thing that, you know, the, the image that we want to give the listeners is this was a, a pretty extreme level of distraction. Uh, only were, were his left two wheels still in the driving lane or were they into the, the bike lane at this point? He was so far over. I mean, I guess I don't know that for a fact. It's a five or six foot bike lane and he was, uh, you know, basically on the dirt with his right, right wheels. So, uh, his left wheels are probably, you know, either in the lane barely or on, on the uh, line of the bike lane. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, for my part, I'm, I'm seeing a number of, uh, unpleasant experiences in the bike lane. I, I had a guy almost back into me. He was backing out of his driveway, uh, two days ago. And, uh, lurched out, you know, it was one of those, not he's easing mm. out, but like gunned it into the bike lane, uh, turned into the bike lane as he was backing out. And, yeah. uh, I was on my cargo bike with my son, taking him to school. And, uh, thank God for disc brakes on bikes. Now, uh, I can actually say that saved my life. I would have been under the vehicle otherwise. Um, and, we, uh, well, I exchanged words. He, uh, he didn't actually say anything. He smirked and laughed. Um, so that I didn't take that well. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's funny. I mean, th th that's something that just, uh, bothers me the most about this whole thing is just, I mean, look, I know there's distracted driving and, and I know that people make mistakes and, you know, people have asked me, was I, was I furious, furious with a guy and you know, they should lock him up and so on and so forth. Uh, honestly, like I was mad, but, uh, you know, we, we've all made mistakes, but to, to, to your point, um, what, what really infuriates me is the sort of other part of the people who have a disdain for cyclists and, and just sort of like hate us being there and almost act like it's, it, it would be better to run us over than, than to have us on the road in the first place. And, and it's that sort of antipathy that just, I, I can't understand it. I, it just makes me so angry. And then beyond that, um, you know, the, 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 the fallout from that, uh, accident, you know, the police came and then they were trying to give me, well, they sort of took our statements and the, the, the first thing they did was say, Oh, well, you know, the, the, the driver's exonerated and we're going to give you a ticket. And of course I lost my mind at that and had to sort of walk them back through and show them what had happened and show them, you know, the evidence of his, his crashed up car on the side of the road in the dirt and show them my my GPS track that said, you know, it happened, uh, w well before dark. So I didn't need lights. Um, but, but this, uh, again, like how are our police not, um, serving everyone and, and w why did they immediately presume that, uh, the, the cyclist was at fault and, and the driver wasn't. And, and I feel like that's uh, another piece of it is we, we just see that cyclists aren't respected and, and aren't given like a lot of rights by, um, by, by the police often. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I'm constantly surprised by the stories I hear where, uh, yeah, cyclists are faulted for, you know, being under a car. Um, yep. Really? Um, yeah. Now, here in California, um, there's a three-foot passing law. Um, I'm told it only ever gets uh, used when it's clear that someone was, you know, like strikes a cyclist and, you know, wasn't giving them three feet because, oh, they're hit. Obviously, they didn't give them three feet. What, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, legal statutes, you know, what is there in New Mexico where you are? Uh, in terms of, you know, things that you can point out to the police to say, you know, this this guy did all sorts of wrong stuff. 
Um, I mean, we, we have a five feet passing law in five New feet. Mexico, five feet. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I could have been riding in the road and the guy should have been, you know, I, I could have been riding the white line and you should have been f- five feet out. I mean, if, if you look at it that way, which I didn't even look at it that way at the time, uh, you know, I, he was probably 10 foot right of where he should have been. Um, so th- th- there never should have been any argument about it, but the fact that there were, you, you know, th- th- there was glass in the dirt from his car. Um, basically the police were like, oh yeah, he was, he was, I mean, he, he was breaking the law at that point. But yeah, I mean, uh, uh, again, like the, the, there's, uh, there, there are laws that, um, the police aren't upholding, uh, in defense of cyclists at, at that point. And, you know, also for, you know, listeners who haven't had a chance to read the piece yet, what was it they were going to cite you for? Uh, they said that I needed to have been riding with a light because it was uh, after dark. Uh, you know, they arrived on the scene after dark. The um, the incident took place, I think it was like 15 minutes after sunset. So um, I, I pointed out that the driver didn't have his, his lights on. Uh, for one and and for two, uh, you know, I, I, there was no need to have a light at that point. I mean, look, I will always advocate riding with uh, daytime running lights um, anytime you're on a bicycle, and I normally do. Uh, I just didn't. I, when, when I went out the door that day, my light wasn't charged, and uh, so I had a light on the bike, but um, it just wasn't running, uh, which was you know my fault. But again, like, why should I be held to a different standard than? Uh, a vehicle, uh, if they don't have to have their lights on, then I shouldn't have to have mine. And I, I, I get it's not necessarily a le- legal question, and I want the safety of a light, but you can't give me a ticket because of that. Well, it's a line of thinking that you know follows from victim blaming. I, I think that's where the real outrage in this is. You know, uh, yeah, you know, you, you shouldn't have damaged the underside of his car by climbing under it. You know, that yeah, sort of exactly. Uh, wow. Uh, so at this point you're in the clear, um, any plans to pursue any sort of legal action against the driver at this point? Um, you know, I, I, that's not, that's not my deal. Um, maybe I should, the, the police actually didn't even get the guy's insurance information. He told me he had insurance, uh, but when they filed the police report, they neglected to get it. So I do have a lawyer, um, trying to get that insurance information just to cover, you know, uh, my medical costs through his, uh, car insurance. But I'm, I'm, I'm not a litigious person. I'm not going to like charge after someone. I mean, maybe if the guy had been, uh, a total jerk about it and, um, had acted completely entitled, but he was contrite and, uh, super apologetic. And, uh, you you know, like I said, people make, make mistakes. Right. Right. Understand. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm so bummed to, to have heard about this and to see the way it played out. Um, you know, I know a lot of people who ride with daytime running lights on their bike. Um, I can't say I know anybody who's putting lights on their bike to go out for a mountain bike ride unless it's a night ride. Um, I mean, is that really what it's coming to for you? Uh, there's a quarter mile of asphalt and uh, in the midst of a, you know, however many mile mountain bike ride and you're at a point now where you've got to have uh, lights appropriate to road riding just to get through that quarter mile uh, in the middle of your mountain bike ride? Um, I mean, it, it's winter here, so I'll always keep lights on my bikes in winter just in case I'm out later than I think or whatever it might be. But honestly, um, yeah, I feel like, uh, I am always going to run with lights on every single bike that I own at all times now because, um, they're inexpensive. And if it gives me one less chance of being hit, then that's, uh, worth the effort to me. I, I think we should be doing as cyclists and you know, there's, like I said, the legal side of it, like, should we be held to that standard? No. But the other side of it is like, we are small, vulnerable vehicles relative to cars and, um, whether or not I want to be held to that standard, uh, I don't want to be killed. And I think we should be doing as cyclists, everything that we can do to prevent that, uh, which includes, uh, 
full-time running lights, which includes bright clothing. I mean, it makes me, it makes me mad when, um, apparel companies are putting out black clothes. Still oh my God, yes. I just, yes. it's like, why? Like, that's so stupid. Like let, let, let's stack the decks in our favor as, as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote a post about the neuroscience of black, of, of how it's not actually a color and your brain just considers it a void in the visual field. So you are effectively <laughs> invisible being black. Um, yep. And I, yeah, I, I'm the same way. I get sent a really cool piece and it's black and it's like, uh, what do I do now? I'm, yeah, I'm not, not wear it. Not interested. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, like you, I've got a very short distance to go to get on trails, uh, when I go for mountain bike rides or at least some of my mountain bike rides. Um, but I'm, you know, some of these pieces are really cool and I want to review them. I do actually want to wear them. And so I find them myself, yeah, in that quarter mile stretch going, please don't hit me. Please don't hit me. Please don't hit me. Yeah. Uh, you know, on a more practical and, and perhaps a slightly more upbeat note, who's doing lights that you like? Oh, I think those Bontrager flare lights um, are are some of the best out there. They're really bright. Um, they're pretty inexpensive. They run a long time, but I mean, tons of companies have good lights now, right? Like specializes making them, Lazine's making them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, 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 even Garmin, I, I've been, uh, playing with and now using since the accident, uh, pretty, uh, consistently the Garmin lights that have the, you know, the, the front, the front light, but then the, the rear light has the radar, um, which sort of notifies you on your Garmin screen of, uh, vehicles approaching from behind. So I'm running that quite consistently when, and if I'm riding on the road now, mm -hmm. um, and they're expensive and people are like, Oh, do you want to spend whatever it is? You know, hundreds of dollars for a light. And I'm like, yeah, but you know how much I sp I've spent already for, you know, minor, uh, medical costs from like a pr pr pretty lucky experience. I mean, if, if you get hit and you have a major, um, me medical expense, you're three or $400 light. If that can prevent it, um, is probably well worth the cost. Yeah. Well, and there's the cyclic, uh, you know, light yep. slash camera um, yep. that was used effectively to prosecute someone who buzzed cyclists uh, yep. here in Sonoma County not too long ago. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's a, a real testament to the power of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, it has changed my behavior, um, awareness of, you know, the way that uh, friends and colleagues have suffered. I find myself riding less on the road now, uh, turning to dirt more often. Absolutely. Part of that yeah. also is just the dirt riding here is so flipping good. Right. Um, you know, I still love I, the road riding, but yeah, it has changed for me. I think, uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's been said, but I think that's actually part of the appeal of the uh, growth of, of the gravel market right now. I mean, you can still get that road running experience, but, um, you know, on the dirt roads and the forest roads, uh, you just don't have to worry so much about uh, vehicles hitting you. So uh, for, for me... I mean, I, I still ride on the road. I still have to ride on the road. I test a lot of bikes. Um, so that's part of my job. But when I have, uh, the, the chance to choose what I'm going to ride, I very rarely, uh, choose to ride on pavement these days. Just it's, it's not that fun to me. You know, I, I just find myself tense and wondering, um, when, when it's going to happen again. I mean, two, two years ago, I told my wife, uh, uh, because I, I used to ride a bunch on the road around here and do a lot of training and stuff. And I just told her like, you just watch people and everybody's veering all over the place and everybody's looking at their phone. And I told her, I think I'm going to get hit one of these days. Like, and the thing is I'm a super, um, aggressive and defensive rider. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a bicycle carrier. Like I, I have no problem riding in traffic, riding in cities and all that stuff. Um, but, but what's scary is just the people coming from behind that you can't you, you can't plan for and you can't be, be defensive about um that's that's you know that's what i've always worried about and that's what happened yeah wow so sorry well i'm i'm awfully glad that you're healing uh you know i hope i hope that you're able to get uh all the lingering aches and pains dealt with uh i know for me last time i went through something like that the massage was really key for me um whatever it is that works for you yeah, you know, I I hope you get there, uh, and I certainly look forward to seeing you at some event sometime soon. 
like I said, I mean, I, I was really, really lucky and, and I feel pretty fortunate about that. What it just makes me think about like all the people that aren't so fortunate. And, uh, I mean, the, the, the parting words f for me would be just everybody be careful out there. No, no, number one, be careful riding and be defensive. Number two, like put the phones away. Like do not ne never, ever, ever, ever look at your phone while you're driving. Like that's just the craziest thing you could ever do. Um, and, and number three, if you get in an accident, um, be sure and get all of the information. Don't rely, don't rely on the police to do it for you. Get the guys or get, get the drivers, um, uh, insurance information, take photos of the crash site, take photos of the car, take photos of your bike, because they, they, they're not going to do that. Um, and, and you're going to need that to, uh, take care of yourself in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate the time. Nice chatting with you, Patrick. So that was Aaron Gully of Outside Magazine. And, uh, you know, I, the thing I got to say about his perspective on this was really pinpointing the smartphone. Not that he's alone or the first in doing this, but I share with him the perspective that, you know, Fatty, it's it's the smartphone usage that is, is making being on the road so scary. Yeah. I, for my part, what I've noticed is when I'm doing longer road rides, I'm not going north into the long, straight vineyard roads uh, that move over toward uh, Calistoga and Napa County. I'm heading out into West County where the roads are as twisty as possible. And you have to be near suicidal to want to pull out your smartphone while you're driving those twisty roads. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't really thought about the twisty twisty roads and smartphones so much but i have uh definitely stopped going on the long wide open straight roads mostly because that is where most of my close calls have happened i i live in an area that has a lot of canyons and a lot of big uh big mountainous climbs and there's no cell phone coverage in a lot of those for one thing uh, and I think that might have part of part of why it, things feel a little bit safer, but also people just have to be a lot more present when they are driving. And also most people, it feels like, are more, I guess, attentive um, and uh, uh, more attentive and also cognizant of the fact that we're all out there to have fun, that most people are there recreating, not commuting or trying to get from point A to point B as fast as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I've noted that every cyclist who has posted about a close call or has been hit around here in the last year and a half, two years, it's all happened on relatively straight sections of road. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them, either a road that's passing between two vineyards or a farm road down toward Petaluma, something like that. It's a straight section of road where cyclists are getting hit. And, you know, I get out west and I get on, you know, Occidental Road or Grayton Road. And, yeah, there are cars. I don't ever have any problems with them. It's yeah. it's really wild. Yeah. And in, when we talked with Phil Guyman a while back, that was one of the things he pointed out as his biggest concerns with road riding right now, which is there is a real lack of awareness in people who are using, uh, using their cell phones. And it is more dangerous than it has ever been before to be a cyclist on the road. And just uh, we, we will be having in the next couple of weeks a new Paceline tandem uh, where I had a a good long conversation with Peter Flax, and he's sort of taken it up as his personal cause to talk more about, you know, living on the bike and commuting by bike and all of this and talking uh, and the cell phone distraction is one of the things that he has to worry about most often. And he frequently winds up, you know, knocking on someone's window at a stoplight and says, hey, you realize you just about killed me, right? And of course, he we talk about the whole spectrum of reactions, but this is his cause as well. And I and it was interesting. You'll hear in the paceline tandem that I recorded. He challenged me toward the end to start uh, making it more of uh, something that I care about, something that I focus on 
in spite of the fact that I live in a very rural area that is perhaps a little safer than um, than riding in the midst of a metropolis. But um, it's something that you know I have not done a great job on uh, because you know you tend to you tend to focus on things that hit close to home. Sure. But this is something that is we have to all worry about. These are our tribe that are getting hurt, that are getting killed by people who are simply not paying attention. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that occurs to me and I've been thinking about is how the three-foot passing law that we have here in California. Yeah, in Utah too. It's um, It only matters when people are aware, you know, when they know what's going right. on. Um you know, if somebody passes you too close and their eyes were actually focused on the road ahead of them and you knock on the window and you talk to them, there's a chance they might have some appreciation of, oh, okay, maybe I should give you a little more room. If they're busy on their smartphone texting their BFF, they don't even know that they came within six inches of you and really don't even care. Yeah. yeah. That's the part that just really freaks me out is just how useless a three-foot law is to somebody who's really not even aware of whether or not they're inside the lines of their lane. Yep. And it should freak everyone out, not just cyclists. It should freak anyone who doesn't want to accidentally accidentally wind up being uh, a killer, right? Yeah. yeah. This is something that all, uh, all humane people should be caring about. Oh, Okay. Let's uh, let's shift focus a little bit for a second and talk a, what uh, talk about what is going on on RKP. All right. Well, we're actually taking the week off largely. Uh, I'm spending the week working on you. some other uh, outside writing projects. Um, I had an interview today with Kristen Keim, uh, and hopefully that's going to be part of a feature that I'll be writing for somebody. And I guess I shouldn't say whom because I haven't sold it yet. Um, and if that goes well, then it'll become part of a book that I haven't written yet, but am hoping to in the next couple of years. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that you're working on some bigger projects. I will say that, uh, in addition to the regular pace line, I've been focusing a lot on, uh, tandem episodes. I love doing the long form interviews. As you know, it gives me a chance to really let people develop their thoughts and it lets me listen to smart people, right? Yeah. So uh, I have three of them that I am working on editing during this uh, this Christmas to New Year's break. Uh, there is one with Jake Pantone of Envy, uh, a guy who started as a wheel builder and is now the director of marketing and product management at that company. And, you know, a real success story there. Mike McCormack, I was talking about him a few minutes ago, a guy who sort another sort of uh, from the basement to the summit uh, story where he has his own PR firm now focusing on bikes as well as his amazing Breck Epic and a couple of other up-and-coming events that I really like. And then uh, Peter Flax, who is one of the most interesting writers uh, and editors in the cycling industry Right now, as far as I'm concerned, I love reading everything that he writes. So yeah, uh, some some good conversations coming up in addition to the regular pace line coming soon. Very cool. I can't wait to hear the interview with Peter. I'm really miss riding oh, yeah. with that guy. Yep. It's a good piece. Uh, I think everyone is going to find that very interesting, very entertaining. And uh, he's funny. He's uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. I think everyone's going to listen uh, and enjoy it as well. Tell you what, let's move on to the baseline picks. Okay. Do you want to go first? Sure. Please do. Sure, I can do that. <laughs> so, you know, so much of what's been done with helmets of late has been about, you know, trying to make them shall we say, safer. Uh, you, you get into a whole host of problems of trying to say this helmet is safer in terms of uh, legal representation and whatnot. So nobody will really say it. But all of the manufacturers out there are chasing technology to try to reduce the possibility that you will be injured if you fall and smack your head on something. 
And last year, Bell came out with a helmet that initially they called the Zephyr and are now referring to as the Z20. Um, hmm. And it is easily my favorite helmet for road use. Uh, it, you know, it's a visorless road-oriented helmet. It's got two different densities of foam. It's MIPS equipped. Uh, the the venting is done really well. And in a departure from previous uh, uh, Bell design language where you had all these fins and it looked like something out of an H.R. Giger drawing, um, this one is actually uh, has a much more swept look and has aerodynamics in keeping with other kind of industry standard, well-ventilated helmets. Um, the thing is, uh, so the Z20 goes for $230. They recently came out with a variant of that called the Ghost for $250. And this helmet is reflective. It's covered in that same sort of glass bead reflective technology that you're finding mm -hmm. in some clothing now. Um, and also some decals. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I, the moment I found out about it, you know, I had to get one. And the thing that I find so remarkable is like, to my knowledge, Bell's the only one doing this. And it's like a reflective helmet, a helmet where the whole damn thing is a reflector. How is that <laughs> just now becoming a thing? And the more, yeah, the more high vis all, all of our stuff can be the better. And yeah, we need to ha have more and more like that. And yeah, that's a, a piece of after the fact, obvious genius, right? Yeah. Of course the helmet should be a reflector. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm really stoked about this thing. Um, and it's something that I, I certainly will be doing all I can to not just, you know, give it a good review, but to actively promote it, uh, to the RKP readership. Uh, you know, I think that we deserve, uh, to think about what we're doing to keep ourselves safe amidst our previous conversation of, you know, all the idiots on their smartphones. <laughs> I, I mean, I yeah. guess, you know, I yeah. guess being reflective doesn't help if they don't look up from their phone, but on the off chance that they are actually looking ahead as they drive by, reflective is good. Yeah. Um, ultimately, it's not our responsibility to uh, to be the one looking through the windshield but we should do everything we can to make it easy for the people who are being at least moderately responsible yeah. to see us, right? Yeah. So there we go. And I'm going to go ahead and go to my paceline pick, which yes. is Strava related. I know I talked about Strava last uh, last episode, but one more time, go to 2017.strava.com if you are a Strava user at all. And find out what your year in Strava looks like. They do a cool little on-the-fly video for you that tells you who your most frequent frequent training partner was, who gave you the most kudos. In this case, my niece gave me the most kudos. My most frequent training partner was, of course, my wife, Lisa. It tells you how many KOMs you might have received. Uh, one for me, uh, which means I rode one uh one segment that was so obscure nobody else has seen it, <laughs> uh, your most kudoed event, and uh, a number of other nice little interesting things that maybe you thought about, uh, maybe you haven't. But it, it's fun to share around and uh, really well done. So uh, kudos to Strava for their, uh, for their year in sport, 2017.strava.com. So what was your most kudoed event? Uh, it was my 20th Leadville 100 last year. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it didn't, the little video doesn't show how many people did give me kudos for it, but it, it was hundreds. Uh, you know, lots of people were very congratulatory and complimentary for that. So it was nice. Very, very cool. Nice. And how many PRs? Um, I'm not looking right now, but I think I had a couple hundred. Uh, how about yourself? 601. 601 PRs. Well, okay. That is impressive. Well, you are, you had a good year. Uh, you know, let's, let's frame this. It helps to move someplace new. <laughs> I've only been here two and a half years. And most of those PRs were on segments of, of trails. And I continue to build my skill set as a mountain biker. Mm. Um, I am. I am easily the best descender off-road I have ever been. 
Um, and I also, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, some people noticed that I seem to have a little bit more muscle mass on me. I was having trouble at the end of last season getting to the bottom of this one descent in Anadel and literally having to slow down because my arms couldn't take the, the jarring anymore. I was so wow. fatigued. Same with my quads. I was so fatigued that I'd actually have to slow down and recover in a spot before I finished out the descent. And I'm not actually having to do that anymore. Yeah. And it, it is a, uh, it's fun to see how, how you're doing uh, with Strava. And you should, I mean, in spite of the fact that you've only been there a couple of years, kind of feel good about the fact that you are making great strides. Although I'm now thinking the way really to game Strava is to never live anywhere for more than a couple of years. Um, yes. In fact, probably have the, you know, some guy who is having to move around a lot because he's in witness protection probably has the best Strava ever. <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Well, there was a point when I started to become sort of embarrassed because every time I went out on a ride, I'd get a PR on something. You know, so, well, if it's the third time you've ridden it, you've got a 33% chance of scoring a PR on it. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, anything that makes me feel better about myself, I am happy to take. So maybe um, the problem's my perspective. <laughs> that's it. You need to be more optimistic, man. Yes. I think that's going to be it for this episode of the pace line guys. If you haven't been to iTunes yet to rate and review us, please do. And if you have, thank you so much. We owe you a poll. For Hottie and Patrick, I'm Fatty, and you've been listening to The Pace Line. It's a podcast about nothing.